And good morning to you, too. This is Gloria J. Brown Marshall on Law of the Land on WBAI 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. And today we are going to go into our new year with the second part of a three-part series on the January 6th lynch mob that attacked the Capitol last year. The anniversary is coming up this week, and we were going to not just delve into the issue of January 6th, but what it means for our democracy, what actually happened that day, the ongoing House investigation of the January 6th attack. But I felt it was too much for us to put into one show. So we are looking at different aspects of it over these three shows. And this show today, we're going to focus on the investigation itself and the fact that um, as it is ongoing, witnesses are being brought forward, but also the court has played a very large role in allowing certain documents to be placed before the committee documents that former President Trump had said had been protected by executive privilege of the president. And what the appeals courts firmly noted was that only the president has presidential executive privilege. And therefore, those documents will be brought forward and cannot be protected. Those documents will show overall how this was organized, how it was financed, how the attack was part of this um, des desire by Donald Trump to hold on to the White House by any means necessary. And as we go forward, I, I want us to understand our guest who is going to talk with us is a, a journalist who's been investigating and um, following this terrorist attack because we can have something called domestic terrorists domestic terrorists and domestic terrorism. And this country has been living with domestic terrorists since before its founding. If you think about um, the Ku Klux Klan, the John Birch Society, and so many other domestic terrorists that were started back in the 1800s, and that um, offshoot of domestic terrorism that we see in groups today. But when it comes to January 6th, I want us to understand that this was a planned attack on the Capitol to stop then Vice President Mike Pence from certifying the vote that would make Joseph Biden President of the United States. I want us to listen, go back to January 6th, 2021. And as, as I said, we're welcoming in 2022, but we are always examining the past to understand how it affects our present, to plan better for our future. Take a listen to this. Another thing I would say, Lester, is you know, as we try to figure out. Well, it looks it looks now like the Capitol, the, the police. Have yeah, been uh, Pete, let me break away from you a second because things are happening very quickly. The government did this to us. We were normal, good, law-abiding citizens. They no longer have been able to keep them back. This is all Right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. Down the mall, 
President Trump airing his grievances in front of his supporters at a rally uh, nearby, and he was warning vengeance for Republicans who did not take his side in objecting to these results. On Capitol Hill, a joint session of Congress has broken into House and Senate chambers as they debate objections that arose from GOP lawmakers over the electoral results from Arizona. There are some protests happening uh, down outside the Capitol. Uh, they appear to be Trump supporters who are frustrated with the outcome and are trying to breach some of that uh, the, those security uh, perimeters around the Capitol. We'll stand in recess until the call of the chair. We'll pause. Protesters are in the building. Thank you. We have visual evidence that, that some protesters have made it inside the Capitol building around the security and are gathering around the area where the Senate was in session. Uh, we were just told that there has been tear gas in the rotunda. Members of the legislature were informed that they should don their gas masks. Get, uh, gas masks that are under our seats. Senators uh, have been evacuated. There are gunshots inside the Capitol. I think it's the most shocking failure of security imaginable to place the Congress of the United States at physical risk in an occupied congressional chamber because they weren't prepared to deal with it. There is a disturbing image at this moment of Capitol Hill police uh, bringing out a victim who is, who is bloodied from the Capitol. It's a heartbreaking day, and it needs to stop, and the president needs to be the first to help make it stop. What the hell was uh, law enforcement on Capitol Hill thinking uh, by not having uh, secured the Capitol today? From the president, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. First of all, are you and your colleagues safe right now? Yeah, everybody's safe. Uh, I don't want to give uh, my location, but I'll tell you, this is uh, this is madness. And, uh, and anybody that calls themselves a Republican like myself uh, should be very ashamed right now. Easy tools on the Chase mobile app. Simplicity feels good. Chase, make more of what's yours. Uh, right over here, you can actually see right here, this is a caravan of vehicles from the Metropolitan Police Department. So this is not Capitol Police. This is not National Guard. This is District of Columbia Police. Uh, they came in their riot gear and entered the Capitol. Uh, we have seen others uh, from the National Guard and other uh, other law enforcement agencies. And then in just the last few minutes, we also have seen uh, some snipers. We are hours into a siege on the Capitol building of the United States of America and we have not seen the President of the United States. Look, I can think of no greater failure by a Commander-in-Chief than to allow this kind of disturbance to continue and not stop it. 
stormed the Capitol building. They are marching through now. An improvised explosive device has been found at the Capitol. It did not detonate. The federal agents have it, and it has not harmed anyone. An explosive device has been located at the headquarters of the Republican National Committee. That explosive device was real, was detonated by a bomb squad, and harmed no one. This has really been pouring gasoline on a fire, and we need to uh, push back on this, not only on the rhetoric, but also on those extremist groups that are capitalizing on it. I call on this mob to pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward. I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. What has happened today is unprecedented in American history. And when you have violent mobs storming the floor of the House of Representatives and the floor of the United States Senate, and the president's response is to say that he loves those people, um, you know, it, it, is, uh, it, it is absolutely um, counter to uh, the Constitution. Um, and, and counter to the peaceful transition of power and the values on which this republic was built. And this is much bigger than the individuals, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. It is way bigger than that. This is about democracy and our constitution versus anarchy. We need to stay in session. We need to fulfill our constitutional duty and finish this process and ensure the 306 electoral votes for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are certified. <laughs> The Capitol building has been cleared. Now they're working to clear the Capitol grounds. Associated Press now reporting and NBC News reporting that the police have used tear gas and percussion grenades to begin clearing protesters from the U.S. Capitol. But at this time, something went wrong. I admit that. If I was up there, I deserve to be fired. was a shooting at the Capitol today, and that in fact the shooting victim has died. I guess you can call it historical. I would call it disgusting, unacceptable, inexcusable. This man, Trump, is simply unfit to serve as president, to serve as the commander-in-chief. The account of Donald Trump will be locked for 12 hours following the removal of the tweets, the tweets that Twitter deemed incite violence. If the tweets are not removed, the count will remain locked. The United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The votes for Vice President of the United States. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. You've been listening to a truncated version of the events that took place on January 6th. 2021 at 12 o'clock, Donald Trump holds a rally at one o'clock. Congress is 
currently are counting the votes and uh, 2.15, rioters begin to break in. At 2.30, we have a clash between those so-called rioters, I call them a mob, a lynch mob, because there was an actual gallows on the Capitol grounds. Um, at 2.45, the, the, you saw them scaling the walls, as one um, congressman pointed out that they were just mere tourists, but we know that's not happening. At that time, Mitch McConnell actually stood up and said that we must go forward with the vote. And it was 4 a.m. the next day when they finally um, convened and counted the votes, the electoral votes that made um, Joseph Biden president of the United States. We're going to take a musical break and come back with Joaquin Sapien of the ProPublica um, journalistic um, organization. It is a nonprofit um, organization that is very much on the front line of so many of these important issues. We'll be right back after this. There's something happening here. But what it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down There's bad lines being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Field day for the heat. A thousand people in the street singing songs and carrying signs. Mostly say hooray for our side. It's time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Good morning, Joaquin. And we're here with Joaquin Sapien, who is an investigative journalist with ProPublica. And ProPublica is an entity that investigates in the public interest. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. 
And so what we're doing is an insight into what took place on January 6th. And we know that ProPublica is working on this issue on the the front lines and going to have on January 6th its own um, open to the public uh, 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 forum to uh, actually discuss these ongoing issues of the January 6th attack. But at this point, if if you don't mind, and I know you were one of the first reporters hired at ProPublica in his first year of publishing back in 2008, um, as a journalist looking at these issues, and you've covered many criminal justice, social service, and other uh, issues in, uh, for the yeah. common cause, what are we looking at? Some people are saying that the, the attack on January 6th was more than just attack on the Capitol, it was attack on our democracy. As a journalist for ProPublica, how are you looking at this attack? Um, so, you know, I, I think early on our, uh, biggest, most pressing interest was, was actually just trying to get a sense of how exactly an attack like this on the Capitol could have been so successful. And our approach to that was to, to try and learn about what took place that day from the perspectives of the Capitol Police officers who were there. And so we got a a roster of uh, a large number of officers and basically started going door to door and and trying to uh, talk to as many of them as we could in person about what happened that day, which allowed us to tell uh, a pretty gripping story from the perspective of those officers back in early February, so not not long after the attack. And uh, it put the reader at the hip of those officers, and we were able to sort of show how there was an, a number of intelligence failures and leadership failures that put these guys at considerable risk and um, and, and show how uh, you know their, their their lives were were threatened on that day uh, and from there we kind of moved on and we and we tried to we wanted to understand more about um, the people who were in this crowd and like you know everybody else we were very interested in trying to learn as much as we could about what the White House knew and didn't know about the severity of the threat. Uh, So we began to take a lot of time trying to understand uh, the perspectives of the organizers and came to learn that there were a number of competing factions uh, within the group that was organizing uh, the January 6th protests, some of whom had, had clearly had no real intention for violence, but all of whom were interested in gathering as many people as they possibly could in the Capitol that day. And uh, we were able to kind of explain how things so quickly spiraled out of, out of control. And, uh, and also, you know, found some, some materials that, you know, indicated that some people in the Trump white house uh, knew that things could spin out of control uh, on that day. And so we were able to tell, a pretty comprehensive story and an early story about what uh, officials in the Trump White House knew and didn't know about what could ha- what could happen on January 6th. 
And if you go to the ProPublica website, you see a, a number of the articles um, from your reporting and reporting of others at ProPublica, I should say. Um, so let's go back to this plan um, from what you've, you know, I say you, ProPublica and your organization has been able to glean. Was it planned to attack the Capitol? Are you saying things just got out of control, which has been the argument that's been made by many Republicans and others? I mean, I, I think it really depends on on who you ask. Uh, you know, there are clearly a number of people who were putting their intentions online, saying that they uh, had every intention of uh, doing harm to lawmakers, of attacking the Capitol, of uh, uh, even of, of killing lawmakers. And we have a story up today about. Uh, a number of people making those threats on Facebook and, and Facebook being too slow to, to um, you know, remove those posts. And so, you know, it seems like there are a lot of people that were in that crowd that, that yeah, that did have um, that plan. And, you know, they were they were sharing designs of the Capitol building uh, going into that day. Um but the, the you know the formal organizers of some of the rallies that took place, like the the rally at the ellipse outside of the White House, um, you know I think it's fair to say that that they did not envision something like an attack on the Capitol growing out of this rally that they organized. But you know then the president got on the stage and and told uh, the crowd to go down to the Capitol. And fight, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and so, I, you know, it's it continues to be an important question. Uh, it's consumed the lives of, you know, uh, an army of investigators on Capitol Hill that is that is looking into this. And uh, you know, we're very we, we've been following some of the work that that group is doing, and, and we're interested in learning more about how closely tied the, the violence was to the, the formal organizing uh, that happened on that day as well. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of open questions there. Yes, and we, we know that there is a, a House committee at this point that is a research and investigation committee looking into it. They don't have prosecutorial powers, but they do have the power to uncover, and hopefully those people will and continue to be prosecuted. We've had hundreds of people arrested who were part of the thousands who were at the Capitol. But those were people with um, bear spray and knives and, and all of this weaponry for war. Um, they had ropes to scale the Capitol. I mean, these are things that, that people wouldn't just happen to have on them if they were just going to a rally. So in, in your um, ProPublica's uh, reports, for example, on the surge of misinformation and insurrection threats, were there plans to actually scale the Capitol building itself to get in by any means necessary. Did you find evidence of that in looking over the records and the different types of social media floating around at the time leading up to January 6th? I didn't work on that particular story, uh, but like I said, it seems like there were a lot of, uh, there was certainly a lot of discussion about attacking the Capitol on that day. And, um, and that, you know, there are a number of people in that crowd, who, as you say, were prepared uh, to to do that, um, you know, there were certainly some people that have been charged with conspiracy that intended to provide secu 
security for key speakers like like Roger Stone and others, and, and they wound up in the middle of the scrum that attacked the Capitol. And so I think, you know, what we're ultimately going to – one possibility is that we'll find that there are certain members of that group that were completely prepared to enact violence that day, and that's what they were hoping for, and that there were other members of that group that kind of got swept up in it. Uh, but I think that there's there's room for both. And, and and you may or may not be familiar with Dr. Robert Pape. Um, he's a, a, a professor out of University of Chicago who has a study on this idea of the great replacement. And that's the great replacement is, is the theme, is the fear of many of these majority, 96%, they said, white males who participated in this uh, attack, this this lynch mob on the Capitol Hill, this idea of re, of the great replacement that white males refused to, these anyway, uh, white males um, are intent on um, holding their place. They they don't want to be replaced by people of color, African Americans, Latinos, and and others. Um, so when you're doing this this research on and who the um, the Capitol Police are facing, these are you know, people who are finding their way and trying to, you know, in the best way they can um, protect the capital, they're facing off on not something that's a fringe element, but people who are business owners, who are in their 40s, 50s, and some of them in their 60s. So what, when you um, talk to some of the people in, in law enforcement, what was this feeling on their, that they're looking into the faces of people that they believe would be their neighbors, the ones who are supposed to be the good guys and the stable ones in the community? Yeah, you know, we talked to a lot of officers about uh, what that day was like and, and facing off against people who are, holding, you know, American flags and Blue Lives Matter flags and, and then attacking them with those flagpoles. And uh, it was traumatizing. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Um, I, really, uh, I, I think, you know, there's there's a number of Capitol Police officers that, that probably shared some of the political views uh, or at least voted the same way as some of the people that were part of that you know, uh, riot. I mean, you know, the, the officer we spoke to were never going to take up arms against the, the U.S. government, but, you know, they, a number of them sort of understood the, the politics of some of the people that were in that crowd, um, at least on, on kind of a base level. And, uh, and to be attacked by people, uh, like that was, you know, I mean, one of the officers that I spoke to, um, told me that you know it was a it was definitely a worldview changing event for that person, um, and I think a year out um, there are still officers you know coming to grips with what with what happened, um, and and I think that the fallout from this for those officers is going to last a long long time. And so going back to my initial question about what does this say from looking at the protectors, um, and, and I've, you know, in full disclosure, have questioned uh, who's protecting us from some of these protectors. Um, looking at these officers, what and, and there's this sense of what they were protecting, the Capitol, this, this uh, um, symbol of our democracy. What does this attack on the Capitol then um, 
based on what you've been able to glean from these officers, what does this say about our democracy? Are they now in, you know, some some point of confusion about what American democracy means? I mean, I think that this is obviously a historic attack. I, I mean, there hasn't been anything like this since the early 1800s. And, um, and you know, in this case, we have Americans attacking you know, an American capital. And, um, and so that says a lot about the state of American democracy today. And uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, there, there is a pretty serious threat happening right now. Um, and that, you know, the, the, what happened on January 6th is a very stark example of that. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned Dr. Uh, Robert Pape's work. I mean, one of the things that he has said in, in, in some of his recent papers is that we need to be prepared for this going forward. And that, you know, cyclical collective political violence is something that we can expect to be part of our future um, for, you know, some some time in this country, uh, which is a really scary thought. Uh, but I, but I do think that, you know, that is where we are and um, that that our uh, leadership needs to be aware of that, that our citizenry needs to be aware of that. And that, you know, law enforcement needs to be prepared for it. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that, yeah, our democracy is in a pretty tenuous place right now. And once again, who protects us from the protectors? Since the police, for the most part, the police union supported Donald Trump. And as you've even noted, many of the people you interviewed or discussed this with um, um, held very similar thoughts and ideas uh, politically with those who were attacking the Capitol. So we're looking at the possibility of ongoing uh, violence and our, our need to be protected from that ongoing violence so that we don't have this happen again. Um, who's going to protect us from the protectors who actually feel this way but weren't part of, you know, outgoing statements that would have us understand or believe that they are those that we cannot trust to or are supposed to be the ones entrusted with protecting our lives and the yeah. lives of those politicians. So, so just to be you know clear on that, I mean, there was early on, as you might recall, there was a lot of uh, rumor and discussion about complicity on the part of the Capitol Police and whether they were, in fact, you know, allowing these uh, protesters to uh, you know, siege the Capitol. Um, and I think that that has been, by and large, you know, dispelled at this point. Um, I mean, we've, we, you know, we interviewed dozens of Capitol Police officers about what happened now on that day. And, and regardless of their political views, uh, I think it's fair, you know, dozens of them fought uh, very, very hard uh, in spite of being, you know, ill-prepared and ill-equipped to protect the Capitol against that mob, and they, they put their lives at risk. Some of them, uh, you know, lost an eye, broke part pieces of their spine, um, broke their hands. You know, they these officers really put their lives on the on the line that day, no matter what their political views were, whether they 
you know, voted for, for Trump or not. Um, but, you know, and, and so, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's true that some police unions came out and supported uh, President Trump. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to attack or allow for attacks on, on law, law enforcement uh, because they are, you know, sympathetic to the former president. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to go, go go too far into, into uh, you know, speculating that, that police officers might, you know, allow for these kinds of attacks to happen uh, just because they hold conservative, you know, political views. Um, and and I and I I take your point. Um, I I don't think that there would be um, so much of the support, even though of uh, uh, many of the people who attacked did say or feel that the law enforcement, um, Capitol police were traitors in some way for protecting the Capitol. I um, mean that is that is something that was stated again and again by the attackers. But we're not saying that those attackers were all police officers. They were not, even though there were some people who were government employees and a few police officers who were in the groups. I know that we're down to the the last point of our our time. As we go forward um, on January sixth, we know that ProPublica is going to hold its own um, forum from three o'clock to four o'clock. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, I think that there's going to be a panel of, of experts um, that uh, is going to be hosted by our uh, editor-in-chief, Steve Engelberg. And um, I'm not part of the panel, but I'm, but I'm eager to, uh, to, to see what's, what's going to come, and I'll, I'll definitely be tuning in. Great. And for those people who would like more information, you can go to ProPublica.org. And um, register. It's free from 3 to 4 Eastern time. And on January 6th, it will be an examination of potential vulnerabilities in the 2022 election and the greatest threats to American democracy. And that is the, the last question I have. And I, and I don't know. You can answer it to the best of your ability. The potential vulnerabilities in the 2022 election. Can you speak to that at all based on what you've been able to glean from your investigations? Yeah, I mean, so that hasn't really been the focus of, of my reporting of late, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that there, you know, I, I mean, we've seen voting commissioners all over the country um, uh, be threatened, and, and we've certainly seen a number of people run to become precinct managers uh, so that they can have, you know, a, an influence in, in counting votes, and so... You know, there. I, I think that there are people um, who have strong beliefs that uh, our voting system is rigged, and are now working hard to uh, put themselves sort of inside the mechanics of our democracy. And so, um, you know, I, I think we're all going to be sort of watching with bated breath and, and doing the best we can to, you know, cover that kind of influence and, and try to better understand, you know, the ways in which our democracy um, is going to be put, you know, might, might be put at further risk um, getting closer to the election. 
Thank you so much. We've been talking with Joaquin Sapien of ProPublica and their program, The Insurrection One Year Later, will be held on January 6th at 3 p.m. Thank you so much, Joaquin. Sure. Thank you. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. We have been talking about the um, anniversary coming up of the January 6th lynch mob that attacked the Capitol last year in an attempt to stop President um, Biden from rising, ascending to that position of president. Um, and this attack is is one that's been under investigation, continuous investigations, um, and a House committee is investigating um, at this moment, bringing in witnesses and looking at thousands of documents, um, some of which um, have been on social media of people who were a part of it. They've been arrested, um, serving time. A woman's life was lost, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by Capitol Police uh, when she attempted to attack or um, then Vice President um, Mike Pence, uh, this this idea of replacement was at the core of it from a study from Dr. Robert A. Pape of University of Chicago and his study, Understanding American Domestic Terrorism. This is a study that was um, uh, published on March 31st, 2021. March 31st, 2021 is the study that actually analyzed who attacked the Capitol. And we find that they were business owners. They were not the fringe elements we normally think about as domestic terrorists. And, and they actually noted in the study the odds of sending an insurrectionist to this type of, of event is six times higher. So if you think about it this way, it's a, the, the, a person who would participate in an event like the January 6th attack comes from a place, not from a fringe element, but coming from a place where they find that their population is in decline. They are coming from places where they believe that they don't have the political power that they used to have or the economic power and that there is a rise in the population of African-Americans and Latinos and this fear that they are being replaced. And this this replacement or a great replacement fear of being replaced by Jews. And these are people who are Protestants who feel they are going to be replaced by Jewish people. They believe that they are white and going to be replaced by African-American Latinos and other people of color. They they believe that they are male and going to be replaced by females. This idea of the great replacement is such that they believe that violence is what's necessary for them to hold their place in society. And I will tell you this based on my um, research and understanding and the five books that I've written and published, violence and racist laws have been the mainstay of maintaining a higher privileged place for white males. As I've said, they believe many of these people in the study that they are victims of equality. And that's basically a leveling of the player playing field because many of these people, and when you look across American history, are in these places of privilege, economic, social, and political privilege based on violence and racist laws or sexist laws. This is not a natural phenomenon. 
So what we would see going back from the 1800s going to the present, as as far as for Tulsa, Oklahoma attack, for example, in 1921, where we had um, a, a black part of town, it's like, okay, you want to be segregated racially based on Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896. We have racial segregation across the United States. Okay, we'll take our part of the town and then we will use our resources to build our part of the town. But that's not good enough because now there's a jealousy. How dare you in your segregated part of the town have more than we have in our white section? So what happens time and time again is the attack on the black side of town, the burning down of homes and businesses and the leaving homeless and, of course, then ruining whatever the progress was at the time of those African-Americans um, Asian Americans, Latinos, this is American history. This is the violence. So when I watched that lynch mob, and I call them a lynch mob because that's what the mobs look like. You can go online to this very day and look up lynch mob. Use the internet to actually explore American history and you will see exactly the images of those mobs of people who stood proudly for photographs so that they could be a part of history to show that they had taken back from African-Americans, Latinos and others what they believe is the power that they are supposed to possess. And so when we're hearing that violence and we're seeing the enactment or the attempted enactment in many places of, of these race based voting rights laws to undermine democracy, as and I put that in quotes, we, we are going now to fine tune where this is coming from. This, this sense that we're studying it today, but it's been there for over a hundred years. This idea that certain people are supposed to be by God, heaven, or, you know, their, their sense of self, the highest on the economic and social totem pole that they are the ones who are to make the political decisions for the community and for the country. And if other groups then feel that they should, as human beings under the U.S. Constitution, have equal rights and actually achieve some, some level of progress, that they have cheated the white male, these particular white males, not all of them, but these particular white males with this sense of you know privilege, they've been cheated. And so therefore, how dare you cheat me out of what is mine? You are now a villain of some kind who needs to be punished. And this punishment is some sense of violence. You've gotten out of your place, your place being at the bottom of the totem pole or wherever it is under white people. Now, this sense of self, and I don't think people actually even think about the privileges they have or the privileges they've had inherited over time through violence and racist laws. So when we think about going back voting rights, for example, in 1890, and I, I know people don't want to hear about 18, it's like, what does this have to do? The same thing it has to do with going back to any part of American history that we still study and we still talk about. Um, many of you have books on the side of your beds right now that you're reading about World War II or, or what happened during the women's movement. You read about history because you want to understand, glean something that you didn't know that you wanted to learn. So when we go back to 1890, 
we know in, for example, Louisiana, we had over 100,000 black male voters. It was back then only men could vote. Black men and white men can vote. So in 1890, we had over 100,000 um, black male registered voters in Louisiana. In 1896, we have Plessy versus Ferguson, this horrific Supreme Court case that divides the country up by race, not just black and white, but all people of color divided, segregated from white people. By 1900, that number is reduced to 5,000 black male registered voters because that Supreme Court case of 1896 was an open call to attack black people if they attempted to vote, to attack black businesses, to attack. And so that's how you see law and violence working together. Because if the laws say we're not going to protect you or law enforcement appears not to want to protect, then, and prosecutors of course, fail to prosecute, when politicians turn their backs then it's open season for the regular person out there, especially the regular white person, to attack. And attack for political means to attack because they do not want to be replaced. Or, as I like to say, you don't want to compete on a level playing field because you're used to having all the marbles in your pocket. There's so much that we can talk about regarding what are the, the different um, strings attached, falling here, there. If you think about the tentacles from the January 6th attack, those that grow up from history, those that are dangling down from the ongoing legal arguments by um, former President Trump that he should not be um, called to account for his role in this. I still think he should have um, been charged with trying to um, begin, or actually um, starting a riot that ended with the loss of life and injury to others. And of course, as this country plays a, a lot of account to uh, the loss of property, that as well. Um, I want us to, to understand that our discussion today is one of a three-part series, is part two, a three-part series on the January 6th attack, that lynch mob attack on the Capitol. And I say lynch mob as well because someone brought a gallows. Yes, a wooden gallows they had with a noose on it. Go back and look and you'll see that someone had created a gallows. Now, perhaps this was symbolic, perhaps, who knows, but there was a gallows on the Capitol grounds. They did scream out, hang Mike Pence. Where but WBAI would you be able to have these types of discussions where you would be able to hear people come on and talk for more? on these very intricate and involved issues. I think the work of ProPublica is outstanding. They do the type of journalism that I, I, I hope again that WBAI would be able to do. I know that when I had the opportunity back when the U.S. Supreme Court was open and available, I would take a trips down to the U.S. Supreme Court so I could sit there in the press press office and, and actually listen to the the Supreme Court arguments. I I wanted to bring all that back to you, the listener. 
That's what I wanted to do. That was part of, of what I, I thought was my responsibility as a host, as the executive producer of Law of the Land. I wanted you to not just know what the U.S. Supreme Court was doing, but to also um, take the law beyond the case itself. Analyze that case, yes. Tell you where in the U.S. Constitution we were examining, where where we were going to um, uh, have our first discussion of the case. So yes, we have to analyze that, but I don't want to stay just in the law itself because laws affect people, the lives of people. And WBAI has allowed me to take this beyond just what that law or, or court decision is to look at the people behind it, the people who will be affected by it. And and that's what Law of the Land has been about all these many years. Every week I try as best I can to do that for you, my listeners. And so, yes, this is a time when I have to ask you to be a BAI buddy or to in some way um, help the station, help me be a part of this ongoing um, desire to, to, to do this for you and uh, um, to, to help us to better understand the law. This is the most litigious country in the world. We have more lawsuits, more lawyers, more court cases, more judges than any other country in the world. And yet I don't believe that we understand law, or let me put it this way, not so much that we understand it, we take it for granted. We know that laws are all around us from that exit sign that you see in the building where you work or your your apartment building um, to the number of people who can be allowed in a room at any given time to the stoplights on the street. We know there are laws all around us and we need to better understand, I think, how those laws affect our lives. And so if you would, to support the work that's being done for Law of the Land, pledge at 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. If you would, that would be a tremendous thing just to help in this um, situation as the year begins to have us have the time, the effort, the resources to do the work that we've been doing all this time as a non-commercial station. 212-209-2950. I would really like and, and ask you to support Law of the Land. I know that um, there are other programs on WBAI, very wonderful programs. I happen to like mine the best, of course, but I want you to know that I think that uh, being able to better understand law is so important in this very litigious country, but also we know that laws can affect our lives and are affecting our lives every single day in everything we do from the Food and Drug Administration to the fact that we have to register our cars I mean, uh, uh, to the the the, the uh, the way in which um, our, our, our people can do their jobs or not do their jobs. If someone's harmed, the, the ability to bring a lawsuit, um, the cases that go before the Supreme Court, there are over 10,000 requests for review for to go before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court takes about 200 to 250 cases, 10,000 cases a year. They take about 250. And I try to analyze as many of those cases as I can. And we have so many coming up in this new year that I want to tell you all about.
And in order for me to do that, for us to pay the electric bill, we need to have your support. 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950 is the number for the pledge line. And if you go and just look at um, the the website and decide what it is that you would like to have as a premium. I know people say, oh, well, why don't you have this premium or that premium? But, you know, you decide what type of premium you would like. And that is give to WBAI.org. Give, G-I-V-E, to the number two, WBAI.org. And you can go on and see if there's a particular premium you like, and then you could give some financial support and get that premium. But if you would just like to pledge a certain amount or be a BAI buddy, I would really like that. A BAI buddy. Um, if you would, could, you know, become a BAI buddy, that would be fantastic. And so just um, call 212-209-2950 and say, I want to be a BAI buddy for law of the land. Let them know, of course, that it's law of the land that you want to support. That would be fantastic. 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. And um, one of the things that I would like to say at the beginning of this year, we have a whole year you know, to be together, hopefully. Um, we've been through a lot over this time period. And I want to just bring history in one more time to remind people that during the Spanish flu, and the Spanish flu was from 20, I mean, uh, 1918 to 1920, those two years, and it didn't begin exactly as we saw, and this didn't with COVID begin exactly in um, 2020. Um, uh, but this was, if you think about it, a hundred years ago, in the midst of that, in the midst of it was the red summer, the red summer of 1919, where there were attacks across the country by lynch mobs, such as the one we saw on January 6th. This is not new. And the violence that continued from that attack into the um, 1900s, leading up to the civil rights movement that we're very familiar with of the 1960s, yes, is history repeating itself? Are we looking at the same thing as our guest said today, that we're going forward with political violence that is not being stopped here and the laws, the race-based laws, the, the attempts in, in, in every state and the success in many states of passing voting rights laws to undermine what we just saw this past election, which was uh, people coming out, young people, diverse people, older people, people coming out to vote and having their votes counted. And because your votes were counted, we had this attack on the Capitol. I want us to understand when I ask the question, what does this mean for our democracy? I want you to ask yourself that question, but I don't want you to ask yourself that question and feel there's nothing you can do. Staying informed is one way, but also not feeling defeated. We cannot believe that we are defeated in this. 
or we would not be where we are today. Women would not be where we are today. People of color would not be where we are today if we had not stood up despite and in spite of those who believed they should not have to stand down when their qualifications do not give them that point of privilege. If one thing, but to say by the pigment of your skin and your genitalia that you should be in this position of privilege, I say no. You say no. Say it out loud. No. 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 I am going to stand up for what is right and equality is what is right. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Thank you for being with me in the beginning of a new year. I look forward to being with you. And as we go forward together, stay empowered, inspired, and informed.